They were in love, but Andrew actually was gay. Gypsy, did you just burp? <laughs> totally. Nice. Sorry, Alyssa. I... That was so loud. I like how you turned your head like that was going to keep us from hearing it. That's what the mute plan is for. Maybe <laughs> this won't read. See, body functions always funny. Oh, my God. Hello, and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends, and we're glad you've joined us. Welcome back. This is Episode 5, Season 2. I'm Josephine Angelini, and joining me are my dear friends, Aileen Calderon. Hi. Oh, wait. I'm supposed to ask everybody to please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, right? That's right. You <laughs> are supposed to remind <laughs> Because Josie's been asking people to leave reviews and they aren't listening to her. Nobody so listens to me. <laughs> please prove that you will listen to me, even if you don't listen to Josie. We'll appreciate it. That's right. Please. Leave a review. Don't try to get credit for my ass, Josie. I am asking people to give us a nice review, please. <laughs> Lauren Sanchez. Hi. And Alyssa Hilfinger. Hi. So, but this week, uh, I mean, we have been laughing a lot, which is good because this week's theme was um, books that made us laugh. Did we all do the theme or did we not do the theme? I did the theme. I basically did the theme. Lauren didn't do the theme. She's kind of. Hi. Hi. Was your book a funny book, Lauren? Or humorous? Oh, yeah. No, no, it's very good. It's a crime uh, novel. It made me laugh. Okay, I've read it good. before. I read it a long time ago. It's by uh, it's One for the Money by Janet Ivanovich. It's the first in the Stephanie Plum series. Um, I think there's at least 28. It's between 26 and 28. In fact, my mother is reading number 26 right now. I found that out today. It was completely coincidental. Um, I'm pretty sure I got her hooked on the series a long time ago. But it's it's based in New Jersey, Eileen. Oh, where New Jersey? Right, Lauren, you're just going to go first, by the way, because you're. I already, guess I'm yeah, going yeah. first. about it. So go for it. Yeah, Wait, where, where in New Jersey? Trenton, um, and I think it's called the Chambersburg area, but they just call it the Berg. So you've got like the the Polish, the Italians, the Germans, like all the different ethnicities are in different boroughs. And um, it's Stephanie Plum is the protagonist. She is a college graduate and she lives in the same city that she grew up in. And but she was a lingerie buyer at a at a what do you call that? Like what is George department store? Department store. Thank you. (laughs) And she lost her job for some reason, and she has no money. So she lives in a little apartment with a bunch of elderly people surrounding her, uh, with her hamster named Rex, who she feeds whatever (laughs) she feeds Rex. I I thought you guys would appreciate this. Oh, she feeds Rex like donuts, and Rex just like literally lives forever uh, throughout all the books. That has not been my experience with hamsters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this first I've read a lot of her books. Um. Uh, Janet Ivanovich's and I don't know if he, I would say it gets better or you know it kind of it's formulaic or what but she has these other little novellas um, or full-length novels maybe taking place like a holiday one for example like um, St. Patrick's Day or Valentine's Day or Christmas she whatever a themed series yeah so she has at least 28 books total out and they're and, all with the same protagonist. They're all with the plum girl. Yes. But yeah. there's also other characters that um, throughout the books, men, there's three men that notable characters. 
So there's Team Ranger and there's Team Morelli. So if you're a Janet Ivanovich or a Stephanie Plum reader, you're either on the Morelli side or the Ranger side. So uh-huh. Joe Morelli is okay. Let me start over. Wait, yeah. yeah what, what's the summary of the book? Okay, like, what's the yeah. About? Stephanie Plum is desperate for work. She goes to her cousin Vinny, thinking maybe she'll get a job filing. He um, is a bond. He worked. He has his own bond agency. So people get arrested. They get and no, they don't have the job for her. But she ends up becoming a bounty hunter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> with literally no experience. Okay, lingerie um, buyer. <laughs> Bounty hunter. Bounty hunter. <laughs> um, and she has she has no experience doing this. But the person that she wants to catch is Joe Morelli. And Joe is a cop in Trenton. Uh, but she also has a history with Joe. She basically lost her virginity to Joe. And, um, you know, kind of wants to catch this guy, you know, because he's she actually tried to run him over once. That didn't didn't work either. As the bounty hunter or just before? Pre-bounty hunter. Uh. But she has no experience. You can de- you, when she runs into Joe throughout the book, you know there's like a chemistry there. You know, they, they really have the hots for each other. He's supposed to be really hot. Um, but there's also this guy who's sort of tutoring her named Ranger. And um, he's a Cuban-American. And he's also very hot. So she kind of has a thing for both of them. And I don't think it's ever really quite resolved, except for maybe that she likes both. Um, so the, this book is basically her trying to catch Joe Morelli, but somebody is murdered. He is implicated in it. He he doesn't make his court date. She needs to, you know, bring him in. And it's all about that. But there's also a character in the book um, named Ramirez, Benito Ramirez, and he's a boxer in Trenton, very well known. And this is one thing about the book I didn't really think about when when I first read it. There, we were just talking about trigger warnings the other week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of um, stalking in this book, and kind of like it made me really uncomfortable reading it this time. Mm. Um, but getting past that, the, I think what I like about Janet Ivanovich's books is they are funny, they are sarcastic. Um, the characters really come to life in your mind. Uh, there's Lula is a hooker, but <laughs> she eventually. <laughs> Works for the Bond Agency as well and also helps Stephanie with some of her, you know, her cases. There's Grandma Mazer, and this woman has no filter. She basically shot shot a chicken one night at dinner or ham, I don't know. In the, <laughs> the, the tuppy with with the gun that Stephanie carts around. Her parents are a riot. I mean, I can as I'm reading this book, I, I can really visualize it in my head. And I you get to know the characters really well. I mean, it is, you can buy these books in paperback at the supermarket, but they they really have a depth of character and that's what makes them great. And the humor is so funny. Mm-hmm. You can really, really like imagine that you're there in Trenton, New Jersey. She's very good at, you know, putting you there. Lauren, do you read many funny books? Because I find humor really hard to find in mm-hmm. books. Because either the book is intended to be funny and it ends up being kind of satirical and either you go along for that yeah, ride I agree with that. or you don't. Like, it's really like I thought Eleanor Oliphant was great because the author just wove humor throughout the story. Yeah. And there were parts that made you laugh out loud, but it's also just a poignant story. Eleanor Oliphant made me cry, man. I read that book. Reese. I read it after we did the podcast thing on it mm-hmm. and I was reading it. And even I don't know, for some reason, I felt so he- even when things were funny, it felt so heavy because I yeah. was like. Damn, this girl has no idea how to be with other people. Anyway, humor humor has gotten re- harder to do, especially these days. Because, I mean, I think mainly in like TV and movies, like 
it's really hard to find something that appeals to a wide audience no, and everyone will find funny and that people like comedians are having a really hard time right now because people are so easily offended mm-hmm. and you don't want to offend someone. And sometimes to be funny, you have to kind of, you know, pick one side or the other and have a strong point of view. So in books, I, I mean, are, are you come as a librarian, are you coming across books that you would classify as being funny? Is that like a common theme or is it just not really out there? Well, I mean, I, I work with children's books for the most part, and there are a lot of funny children's books out yes, there. That's, that's a great true. point. I did. I um, don't know a lot about the adult fiction. I have to. So be I did a quick search of you know humorous adult fiction books, and there are subcategories. So you humorous mystery and crime is its own subcategory, which I think your book, Lauren, and my book both fall into. Then there's satirical comedy, social comedy, romantic comedy. Then there's two that are, it strikes me as odd, but science fiction and fantasy. That's what I have. I have a fantasy. Oh, Terry Pratchett. And then children's classics, like funny Mm. children's classics. Yeah. No, no books make me laugh more than children's books. Like children's books are so funny and so good. Yeah, the Dave Pilkey books are so funny. Oh my God, Captain Underpants are so funny. They're great. (laughs) We do Dogman. Pia loves yeah. Dogman, and she's bu- been doing these knock knock jokes because Little Petey has all those knock knock jokes. But and it's just basically an airplane pooped on your head. And I'm like, Pia, if you say one more thing pooped on my head, it's cracking me up. But that's yeah. big, but you know what it is? There's a universal humor that all kids have. It's like potty humor being dirty. And as an adult, you hear it, it brings you back, it makes you right. laugh. Some of yeah. us are six at heart, anyways. But as adults, like you're what you think is funny starts to evolve and change. So I think probably as an author, it's it's hard to kind of find that balance and find something that is going to appeal to people. People will find funny. And also, I don't know, when you're reading a book, you don't necessarily want the entire book to be funny. You just want to mm. hit, you want to go along for the emotional ride. You want you want to laugh at some points. You want to kind of feel upset at certain points. So I feel it like it can't just, be joke my, after joke after yeah, joke. Yeah, just calling your book, like my, my book is a humorous book. It's just going to put it in a certain right. category that it's not going to appeal and to I a lot of people. I don't think that you can really have the humor unless you have the other emotions to juxtapose it so that the humor stands out. You know, so I think it's more, I don't know, I, I find that I enjoy books more that have elements of humor. This, you know, had parts that were laugh out loud funny, you know, as opposed to just this is a funny book. The thing about comedy is that like over the years, what's funny changes too. Yeah. So it's like know. what was funny. Except for kids. The same things are always funny with kids. It's beautiful and it's amazing. Fart jokes. <laughs> yes. Yep. We cool. encourage it a little too much in our house because, yeah. I don't know, we kind of love fart jokes. Does Wyatt have Walter the farting dog? Oh, no. <laughs> that sounds like one we should add to the collection. Mm-hmm. Although he started doing things like he does the baby dance, which is just him pulling his penis out of his pants. <laughs> oh, God. Sitting around saying, I'm doing the baby dance. And like, we can't help but laugh. But we're like, Wyatt, you can't do that. Like, that's yeah. not OK. We shouldn't encourage that. But but why do kids all love the same things? And then as adults, I mean, I guess you kind of learn and you grow and you you evolve for bodily sure. Functions yeah, are funny. Are weird. Bodily functions are hilarious. <laughs> why do we stop thinking? I mean, I guess I still think it's funny, but like you you learn it's not okay and you shouldn't laugh at those. I things. don't know. But every little kid has the same sense of humor. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't think it goes away because my coworker Nancy and I find it hilarious. <laughs> God bless the librarians. <laughs> the other day, I was like, Nancy, I'm just going to warn you. I'm going to. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were laughing so hard about something I couldn't even control it. It was just so funny. We're here. We're in a library. And there's only two of us. It's awful quiet. You're going to hear it and smell it. It's happening. Well, in, in the science text thread, I cannot tell you how many times planet jokes come up and Uranus is always, <laughs> always a winner. Wait, that actually oh seg- segues pretty well into my book. Okay. Oh, your book, Amy? I read The Humans by Matt Haig. Uh, his more recent book was The Midnight Library, which yes. is incredibly popular. Oh, that's on my list yes. to read. It's really good. I read it. it, it yeah, it, it's a really good book. I recommend it. This one's um, one of his older books. And it's the story um, of an alien who comes to planet Earth. And his objective is to kill a professor named Andrew Martin who has discovered the solution for like a mathematical hypothesis. It's a Riemann hypothesis, which explains prime numbers. And apparently these aliens from outer space have decided that humans are not advanced enough to deal with the repercussions of understanding prime numbers, because that's basically unlocking the secrets of the universe and being able to figure out everything about technology and advancements and humans can't handle it. They'll just destroy themselves because they're an inferior species and it just can't happen. So, so far, this is a factual story. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yes. So this alien comes and assassinates Andrew Martin and basically takes over his body because then his mission becomes to kill anyone who he's told that he has discovered this the solution to this hypothesis. Like no one can know. So he's supposed to become Andrew Martin and then just destroy anyone who knows about it. And then he's going to be whisked back off to his planet. So the beginning of the book is him as an alien observing humans. And it's funny, the book goes from being funny to getting kind of more serious and emotional because he starts off just, he comes from a world where math is God. So it's this very analytical world. There's just facts. That's all there is. It's kind of a boring world. Like there are just certain laws to the way that you live. There is no emotion. You just live by the rules and laws of math and science. And that is it. Like, they all live forever. They all live in harmony. It's kind of boring. There's no conflict because everybody lives by the same rules. Yes, so they Josie. live forever until killed or do they just, there's no way there, to kill them either? There's, there's no death. So unlike oh. humans who live in constant fear of death, they don't even think about it. They don't even worry about it. So the beginning is funny because it's him coming as an alien in, bo- in this human's body and observing humans who, through an alien's eyes, humans are fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is in the very beginning of the book. Um, the name of this chapter is Preface, An Illogical Hope in the Face of Overwhelming Adversity. I know, and this is him reporting back basically to the, the aliens about what he's observing about humans. I know that some of you reading this are convinced humans are a myth but I'm here to state they do actually exist. For those that don't know, a human is a real bipedal life form of mid-range intelligence (laughs) living a largely diluted existence on a small waterlogged planet in a very lonely corner of the universe. For the rest of you and those who sent me, humans are in many respects exactly as strange as you would expect them to be. Certainly it is true that on a first sighting, you would be appalled by their physical appearance. (laughs) So he's just coming and I mean... He he steps back and he just has all these observations about humans that are really funny and really um, accurate. But you say it's like satirical? I guess a little bit. It's it's like observational humor <clears throat> I, in a way. I feel like humor is hard to talk about. Like, how do you define yeah, it? Funny? Like, how do you define it? Yeah. And I think this is funny because you recognize yourself in a lot of his observations and he's mm. doing it because he's doing it as an alien. And it's all so absurd or ridiculous to him. And he's stating it in such a matter of fact way. It, it becomes pretty funny because you're like, yeah, you 
it sounds ridiculous, but it's so true. Is the author British or American? British. I mean, oh. mine's a British author, too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's little things like uh, on Earth, you have to spend a lot of time traveling in between places, be it on roads or on rail tracks or in careers or relationships. This particular type of road was a motorway. A motorway is the most advanced type of road there is, which, as with most forms of human advancement, essentially means accidental death is considerably more probable than formerly. Yeah. So he starts just being disdainful of humans because he doesn't he doesn't understand them. They have so much emotion around things. They're worried about dying. They're they have relationships like just all those kind of soft, squishy things that if you just believe in <laughs> math and fact, you don't have to worry about. But he then he he starts to so he's embodying this now dead professor. Um, it, it's funny also because when the book starts, he's walking around naked. Um, and he doesn't understand why everyone's staring at him oddly because clothes just aren't a thing where he comes from. So he's like, I'm just walking in my human form. Like, I don't what pants? What are pants? Why would I need those? Um, but then gradually he gets to know he gets to know the man's wife and child. And he starts to basically understand emotion and kind of get swept up into everything that makes us human. Um, and the book becomes less funny because, oh, yeah, no. yeah the, being human isn't really funny it's it's there, there's a lot more to it um uh, yeah so this is one of his other observations as well as religion human history is full of depressing things like colonization disease racism sexism homophobia class snobbery environmental destruction slavery dictatorships inventions of things which they had no idea how to handle the atomic bomb the internet the semicolon <laughs> the victimization <laughs> of clever people the worshiping of idiotic people boredom despair periodic collapses and catastrophes within the psychic landscape. And through it all, there's always been some truly awful food. <laughs> just humanity subbed, summed up beautifully. I'm mm. so depressed. What made you pick up that book? Google. <laughs> there you go. I, I could not, because I read Eleanor Oliphant, which I think is, it has a range of emotions within it, but it's definitely, there are parts that made me laugh out loud, yeah. which is very rare. So I just started Googling like humorous books and this one mm -hmm. came up. and. Yeah. Like we were talking about before, there are parts of it that are really funny and make you laugh out loud. But I don't know if I would qualify the entire thing as being humorous because it goes mm. it goes deeper than just being funny. He uses humor where it's appropriate, which is really in the beginning when he's just looking at people and how absurd mm. we really are. Josie, you'll appreciate this. Catholic, I discovered, meant a type of Christianity for humans who like gold leaf, Latin, and gift. <laughs> That's my mom. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I found Bridget Jones's diary to be funny. Like I would call that a funny book. And the first time mm -hmm. I read it, there were parts that I giggled or laughed out loud. Right. I don't know that reading it again the second time, third, well, third, fourth, whatever many times. Like in, you know, like you said, Lauren, like being older in a different place in my life, I'm like, it doesn't hit me the same way, but mm. I would consider that a funny book, but I, but it yeah. would never be classified in under humor. I don't think. Josie, do you have like, do you use humor in your books? Like, do you make a conscious effort to lighten the moments? But here's or? the thing. I always have this talk with my, my husband, who's a screenwriter. So there are, there's a vein of people who like to insert humor into high tension situations and it lets all the air out of the bag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes it really works and it makes it hilarious. Humor is great when you're getting to know a character because you want, if you laugh with them, you like them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that once you like them and once you're invested in their storyline, everything has to matter. And as soon as you try to insert humor into the wrong part, and this is like a perfect example with the humans. 
the ending is supposed to be serious. It's suppo- you're supposed to care enough that all of that matters. But humor gets you to the caring bit. Mm-hmm. You love Janet Ivanovich because you love those characters because they're funny and they're mm-hmm. they're real. Yeah, but they're also not real. Like nobody's grandma's actually like that. But you get it. Like everybody's got a grandma that said something blue once or twice. You know what I mean? And you're mm-hmm. just like, dang, grandma. Normally they're not like that. She says something blue all the time because yeah. it's that's what makes you love her. And that's what pulls you into that family. Humor opens up the reader, but then you have to pay it off. In books, it can also like dictate the whole tone of your book. Like you don't like you want people and, to take there are things you want people to take seriously. And if you're trying to be funny the whole time. I feel like they're probably not quite as invested in in the story and what's happening because they're not really taking it seriously or believing it. And the funny thing is, is that when you're writing, sometimes you're writing a serious scene and you care about your characters. You always have. You want to insert something funny to let the air out so that it doesn't feel that tense. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that a lot in my early writing. And my husband, who would always be my beta reader, like my first beta reader, he'd be like, not a funny moment. And I'd be like, what? He'd get mad at me. He'd be like, you work so hard to build the tension for this scene. And then you crack a joke in it. He's like, it's funny, but it ruins what you're trying to do with the scene. So it's like humor is this really, it's like a double-edged sword when you're writing. It's like, when do you use Mm -hmm. it? How do you use it? And sometimes you crack a joke at the wrong spot and it's like, "Mm, no, you just killed it. I think, but humor is so important in life. Yeah. Like I, I mean, So, I mean, there like I use humor as a tool to get me through uncomfortable moments, unhappy yeah. moments. Anytime I see a medical professional, I become a comedian. <laughs> like I went to the dentist last week <laughs> for the first time in, in an embarrassing number of years because of the uh, pandemic and everything else. And I just like I have a, I have like dentist jokes that I pull out and I'm like, cause I just want them to like laugh and I want to feel like we're on the same page and it just makes me feel at ease and I feel like they feel at ease. Laughter creates oxytocin and that's the bonding chemical. Like we all know what that is. Yeah. If you don't laugh, you cry. Yes. Well, and there was it's true. a quote that I heard that laughter is the tangible expression of hope. Oh, that's beautiful. It's so important right now. Everyone really does need a laugh. A, a good girlfriend of mine, I was just at a play date this morning with a friend of mine who's, um, she's a screenwriter and she's a director. And um, she's got this, she's got this screenplay due. And it's like this huge time travel, super complicated. It's like, it's very ambitious. And like her whole team, like her managers, her agents, they're all like, where's the damn Cyclotron movie? And she's like, ah, she's like, she's too scared to tell them that she kind of put it aside. To write this funny girl buddy comedy about mm. two women who get super high in Griffith Park. Bring it on. We need that. That's exactly what she was telling me. She was telling me about this idea that she had. She's only on page 11 writing it right now. But she like, she's like, I just, every single page makes me laugh. And I need to write it because I need to laugh mm-hmm. right now. It's like everything's so serious right now. She was just telling me what she was doing with it. And I had to get up and leave the room for a second. I was crying laughing. I was like. We need this right now. We all need to laugh. And bring on the girl buddy movie Mm -hmm. is all I'm saying. Actually, my book is very female dominated. Good good segue. My book has, I think all, I mean, all the main characters are women. So I read Faking It by Jennifer Cruz. This sometimes is billed as a sequel to her, to another book, but it's, it's not where she takes characters that people might be familiar with and then those characters kind of appear in this book, but this is an opportunity to tell a new story. So there's a family called the Good Knights, um, and they have an art gallery. And it is the mother, Gwen, 
her oldest daughter, Eve, and then the youngest daughter, Matilda. The father died at some point in the past, Tony, and they've had five or six generations of good knights who are painters and gallery owners. And and so this story is about this family and the gallery and the paintings, but it is a like really campy, over-the-top caper of just twisted plot lines and stuff that you read and you're like, uh, of course, you know, Eve has an alter ego named Louise who sings at a nightclub <laughs> three days a week and does all the things that Eve can't do because Eve is a single mom to Nadine, who is also in the book. Um, each person in the book has multiple personalities and plays different people. So Eve is Louise for her nightclub days. It's very confusing. Eve married her high school sweetheart only because they had she was pregnant, but Andrew, her husband for a little while was gay. And so they ended up getting divorced, but they still live together and co-parent. And he plays a big part in this. And his partner, Jeff, is in it. And then what's the main plot line? Like what's happening? Yeah, exactly. What is the main plot line? <laughs> so when you first kind of meet the characters, you meet Tilda, who that's Matilda. She goes by Tilda. Um, she is breaking into a house to steal back a painting that she had forged and needed to get it out of circulation. So while she's trying to steal this painting, somebody comes in. So she jumps in the closet. When she jumps in the closet, there's a guy already in there who also had been <laughs> of trying to break in. and Was it Brad Pitt? Please say it was no. Brad Pitt. <laughs> no, this is Davy. And and so you have these two circles now of two people breaking into the same place, trying to get something from Clea. That's the woman they're trying to steal it from. Davy's trying to break in and get money back that was owed to him. And Tilda's trying to get this painting and they end up together and and they're both like completely startled that they're both in the closet while a third person then comes in to try and burglarize the room. It's like a Pink Panther movie. And they're all like they're all like hiding in different yes. parts of the same room. And yeah. and so of course the two of them are in this closet together and there's, you know, this sexual chemistry and they kiss and it's, you know, hot and they don't know who each other is. And um so then Davy follows Tilda and because of course, the gallery also, they, they like own a building and the gallery is on the first floor. The family lives maybe in different rooms on the second floor, but they rent out apartments on the third floor. So Davy then rents an apartment so he can be near Tilda. And then it's the whole book is like the overlapping of their lives and the circles and then trying to each of them figure out what it is they're trying to steal from this woman who hires a hitman to take out <laughs> Davy while Clea's fiance is hitting on the owner of the gallery. Oh my God. It's so Dude, intertwined. I can just see, I can see this author's like corkboard and it's just got all oh, yeah. of these like lines. It's, it's one and, of like, those little detective scenes where they have like yeah. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, picture yeah, yeah. of the, the murderer wall. in the middle and they have the pins <laughs> and the cards and yeah. yeah. Madcap caper. Yeah. Is it contemporary? It is. I mean, as, as far as like, you know, taking place now, there's there's no references to politics or pop culture or, you know, things like that. But cell phones. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're on cell phones and stuff. Is 
is it situational humor or is it more like the dialogue is it's, funny? I, it's both. It I think that it largely depends on situational humor of like, of course he's not who he says he is. He's actually, you know, and pick the most ridiculous option and that's who he really is. You know, so it's it's very situational and and I think that's also why it works because the characters are very relatable. And Tilda is pretty guarded and sarcastic. Eve is a really good mom with Nadine, who is a really fun, quirky teenager. Um, so there are some really steamy sex scenes. Oh, and Lauren's <laughs> back. <laughs> um, but there was there was the first sex scene between Matilda and Davy, though, is disastrous. It, it's terrible. So it starts with Davy's kiss tasted like vodka and disaster. We've all been there. Right, that's <laughs> yeah, the thing. We like, we've all been there. <laughs> Call it. And then it it goes on to kind of talk about his hand goes up her shirt. And, you know, she's thinking, like, do I want this? Do I not want this? And then Davy kissed her again, another deep, warm kiss, and she cuddled closer. But the wildness wasn't there. She missed the closet. If only they'd done it in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's basically trying to talk herself into it. She's like, oh, just do it. She told herself, you could use this. And and so <laughs> that'll be me. <laughs> so he moved his hand under her bra and she considered a moan, which was better than heavy breathing, because if she breathed too heavy, she'd end up in an asthma attack. And that would be the end. Topless geekdom. <laughs> she pushed her glasses back up the bridge of her nose. Definitely Definitely moaning is the way to go. That's fun. That makes me not that I could totally relate to that, but being relatable is part of something being yeah. funny. The minute you hear something and it's absurd, but you're like, yeah. And then she she's talking about like, please don't have a nosebleed. Please don't have a nosebleed as she's trying to. <laughs> oh, my and, God. She's asthma yeah, and I know. nosebleeds. And, and, she's a mess. And she's like, <laughs> she's a hot mess. <laughs> going through the motions. And and finally, she after they have sex, she's laying there and she's like, well, it didn't hurt. There's a recommendation <laughs> for you, she thought. It didn't hurt. Oh, and no. then they have to overcome. Kind of I, it is. But, but that's women. the whole point of this. So like then they in their relationship have to overcome this idea of like they had really bad sex. But I've never <laughs> seen that written in a book. It just it was a really interesting yeah. take on the relationship that started all hot and heavy in the closet, but then Where do you go from there? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, not that this has ever happened to me, but you well. You can have like a really great <laughs> look up like, somebody alcohol fueled hookup, right? And then like think, okay, let's hang out sometime or let's go on a date, and it just sucks because you don't have that sort of inhibition. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was. Was that a confession right there? What? <laughs> Married women are just nodding silently. We're all like, I'm not talking about it. I'm not going anywhere near it. <laughs> That potato is going to stay over there. <laughs> Don't pass it to me. It's it's a very interesting book. It is so hard for me to keep track of all the characters, though, because as I said, mm. each character has at least one alter ego, and so did it get confusing? I mean, I started at the end, and then <laughs> you started at the well, end. I mean, I just you know quickly kind of looked did. at it. 
be climaxed. And then, <laughs> of course, you're going to be confused. You've got to start off page one. And I know. Go to but page see, this two. is the thing. I like to know the names of characters at the end so I can like almost allow myself to pay more okay, attention. Okay. Melissa, I challenge you to not do that on your next book. You got to try. Why? Wait, uh, Alyssa, let me ask. <laughs> let me ask you another question. Do you ever just do things spontaneously? Like you're just kind of like, I'm going home. I usually take a right. I'm going to take a left today and see what happens. Like even at that level, like do you ever just kind of like live life on the edge a little bit? I do. I do. I know I sound like a really uptight, nerdy, straight laced science person. And 90% of the time I am. But I wait, can I post the video of you performing? I don't, I don't know. I love it. Well, it, I mean, it is on YouTube, so. I, I don't think there's any because that's my favorite thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I, and it's amazing. No, it is funniest. so awesome. I'm oh my so God, you're willing incredible. to make an ass of myself. I mean, <laughs> you didn't even make an ass of yourself. That was an incredible thing. Yeah, you didn't no, make an ass of good. yourself. Oh my God. I was so you impressed with you. You went out, you like, dude, you mic dropped it. Oh my God. That was incredible. <laughs> like, I wish I could do that. I could never in a million years okay, do that. Okay. So going back to this idea of multiple personas. You put on a wig, you dress up like another person, you can act more freely. Yes, you can. I don't think I'm impressed you can. I think I would still feel really subconscious and not be able to pull that off. But you, I would need like a few. Oh, but you, well, Lauren, you did theater. Aileen, I don't think you never did any of that. I did not theater. theater. I was like in the background. I did not. But you were, you were still on stage. You still, you guys all did theater. I'm not theatrical at all. Okay. I do do story time. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You do, you read to kids. Oh. Wait, my book is about kind of about the theater. Oh, okay, oh, bring it. Let's switch. Josie, go on. Okay, so I did um, book number six in Terry Pratchett's um, Discworld series. Terry Pratchett, Sir Terry Pratchett, he was a writer until 2016 when he died of Alzheimer's. He wrote 41 Discworld books. 41, wow. you guys. Wow. That's a lot. And huge. he's a huge, huge, huge international bestseller. Um, he also wrote Good Almonds. That was a TV that was turned into a TV show. He wrote that with. Anyway, I can't tell you how much people love his stories. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. So I read Weird Sisters, which is book number six, because this one, it's kind of my favorite because, because you have some. <laughs> I have. I got a lot of Weird Sisters. Well, it's about witches and witches are right up my alley. Magrat, Garlic, Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax are the three. Um, I love them. <laughs> I love these characters. They're hilarious. Like Nanny Og, she was a big old hoe when she was a kid, but now she's like super old. And Granny Weatherwax is like the straight laced witch. And Magrat Garlic is like, she's like the youngest witch. I know, right? Magrat, she's got these ideas about what a witch should be. And she's very into the occult. She's She actually can do magic, but she kind of always like sort of disappoints herself. Like she has this idea about what a witch should be and like this Mm -hmm. beautiful person. And she's like really flat chested and her hair is super frizzy, but She's lovely. She's just these wonderful, they're wonderful, lovely characters. Okay, so his last book, his 41st book came out posthumously. And most, a lot of his true followers bought the book and never read it. They put it on the shelf so that they would always Mm. have an unread book by Terry waiting for them. Like, that's how much love. You just always want to have one of his books on your shelf that you haven't read yet. So you you always have something to look forward to. Yeah. So... He writes these characters that are, you know them even if they are super strange. And by super strange, I mean, oh, let me find the librarian. 
the librarian is a uh, an orangutan. And um, <laughs> so the librarian is just a callback character. He's a character that pops up in all the Discworld series, not a main character. He's created and then he just sort of floats in and out of the story. And I'm going to read who the librarian is. So the librarian, they're, they're at a bar. They're at a, and the librarian gets angry. Somebody says something mean about hairy people. Um, an explanation. He also uses all these asterisks. So it takes you out of the moment, but he does it purposely, even though his stories are really well crafted. Like this one is all built on Shakespearean plays. So it's like a combination of Hamlet, Macbeth, and it's got some Tempest thrown in there. And even one of the Henrys, it has like the St. Crispin Day speech from, I think, Henry IV, something like that. So an explanation may be needed at this point. The librarian of the Magic Library at Unseen University, first of all, it's the Wizard College is called Unseen mm-hmm. University. Brilliant. The discs, the disc is the world. The disc is the entire world. The disc's premier college of wizardry had been turned into an orangutan some years previously by a magical accident in that accident-prone academy, and since then has strenuously resisted all well-meaning efforts to turn him back. For one thing, longer arms and prehensile toes make getting around the higher shelves a whole lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) And being an ape meant that you didn't have to bother with all the angst business. He'd also been rather pleased to find that his new body, although looking deceptively like a rubber sack full of water, gave him three times the strength and twice the reach of his old one. And I just read that and I was like, so the librarian like pops up for no good reason. Like he's just in a bar and he gets into a brawl, like an ape in a bar brawl is just fantastic. <laughs> it's funny, <laughs> which has absolutely nothing to do with the plot, but the world that he's created. So this is Discworld. This is a description of the world itself. Through the fathomless deeps of space swims the star to- turtle, great Atuan. So there's a turtle swimming through space. Bearing on its back the four giant elephants who carry on their shoulders the mass of the disc world. So it's like this completely (laughs) Baroque, almost Hindu world. And it's true. (laughs) And a tiny sun and moon spin around them on a complicated orbit to induce seasons. So probably nowhere else in the multiverse is it sometimes necessary for an elephant to cock a leg to allow the sun to go past. (laughs) I mean, what an imagination just to come up with that. It's this great story of these three witches. And it starts off just like Macbeth does. It starts off, the wind howled, lightning stabbed at the earth erratically like an inefficient assassin. (laughs) Thunder rolled back and forth across the dark, rain-lashed hills. As the cauldron bubbled, an eldritch voice voice shrieked, When shall we three meet again? There was a pause. Finally, another voice said in a far more ordinary tone, Well, I can do next Tuesday. (laughs) It's like he starts off with these wonderful like Shakespearean moments. He's setting it up. He's like, okay, so you have the Duke kills the king. He murders him. And he ends up like washing his hands constantly because now he's going mad. The baby, the the actual heir to the throne is um, spirited off in the middle of the night and given to these three witches. The witches hide the baby with a troop of actors and give him these three gifts of like, he'll always remember the words. He'll always, they give him like these three gifts that have meaning for them. Like everyone will like him. He'll be whoever he wants to be. So it's like the three fairy godmothers mm-hmm, give yeah. him all, everything he'd need to be, become the best actor in the world. And then gives them to this like theater troupe. And the theater troupe has a main, a head writer who's a troll. And trolls are supposed to be like thub, thub, tub, thunder guts or something. <laughs> like they've got all these crazy names. And they're supposed to like ho, ho, ho. They quaff lots of beer and they've got hammers. And, 
and he's he's a writer and he doesn't he's never felt like he fit in and he has he gets inspiration and he describes inspiration in a way that has stuck with me my whole life i read this when i was very young and i've loved it ever since let me just find i i can see that you love these books cuz you love the um I love that. I love the Douglas Shakespearean Adams element books. to it. I we do. Love the and Douglas it is, Adams books, and this kind of just gives me that. It's such a specific similar. type of humor. Mm. Like it there's really yeah. there's an absurdity to it, and taking what you know and flipping it on its head. Right. It's mm-hmm. like I think about the humor in this, and it's so different from the humor in like my book or right. like or my L- book. L- mm-hmm. any of your other books. Like it's very mm-hmm. specific. It, it is, and it's it's one of those things where you can't. You know it when you see it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, why is that the wrong one? Anyway. Maybe because you have 20,000 post-it notes in that book. I know. That's <laughs> terrible. Means you were very inspired. I just, everything he writes, I think, is a little bit funny. Is the whole so, book, is the whole book funny? Are there serious moments or is it just sort of one are, like laughable moment after another? And sometimes I think his humor does get in the way of allowing this story to, because he does write uh, these very complicated stories. Mm. Like he, that's my only, the only thing that I would say about it is that especially towards the end where I wish he'd stop cracking jokes. You do, he does allow serious moments, but every now and again, he'll like, he lets, he lets the air out of the scene. Like he just, he'll, he'll allow the tension to dissipate because he wants to remind you that this is still a funny book. Mm. Like yeah. none of it's that serious. It's so interesting. It's, it's humor. Humor is a tool mm-hmm. is right. what it is, what it comes down to. And you have to be careful about how you use it and you have to use it wisely. But yeah. he so he'll write about these serious characters like the fool in this, the fool who actually ends up being the king at the end. So it's like hidden destiny on all that stuff. And there are all these jokes about destiny. So he's in love with Magrat. Like he's the fool and Magrat have sort of fallen awkwardly in love with each other. And it's just funny because he says like the majority of true love is like 90 percent ear burning embarrassment and that's the way that they are with each other like whenever they're together they're like oh i think i'm going to be washing my hair it's just like horribly awkward so the fool never wanted to be a fool he was made to be a fool he had like an abusive grandfather who like who was the funniest man in the world damn it like (laughs) i'm so funny everybody knows i'm funny and like he forces (laughs) Mm -hmm. his grandson to become a fool still said magrat her voice higher than usual it must be a happy life making people laugh i mean when there was no reply, she turned to look at the man. His face was like stone. In a low voice, talking as though she was not there, the fool spoke. He spoke of the Guild of Fools and Joculators in Ankh-Morpark. Park. <laughs> and he talks about how most visitors mistook it at first sight for the offices of the Guild of Assassins, which was in fact the rather pleasant airy collection of buildings next door. <laughs> Sometimes the young fools, slaving at their rote in rooms that were always freezing even in high summer, heard the young assassins at play over the wall and envied them, even though, of course, the number of piping voices grew noticeably Aww. fewer toward the end of them. <laughs> the assassins also believed in competitive examinations. The fool spoke bitterly of the huge, red-faced brother prankster, of evenings learning the merry jests, of long mornings in the freezing gymnasium, learning the 18 pratfalls in the accepted trajectory for a custard pie and juggling, juggling. Brother Jape, a man with a soul like cold boiled string taught juggling. <laughs> it's like, isn't it's it so funny? He's describing this horrible childhood, but it's hilarious. <laughs> like you laugh at it. Is it offensive if I call it nerd humor? It's nerd humor. <laughs> it does no, seem kind of nerdy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like... It's referential mm-hmm. and there's a smartness to it, but it's a very... I think my dad would have liked specific, it. Yes. Yeah. He may have read it. It's it's one of those things where if you, you either love it 
or you don't love it. And when you really love when you really love this kind of humor, like the British humor, and I did grow up on Douglas Adams, there's also there's so much. Here's why the humor, it, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish he'd let that be a serious moment. But here's why the humor never really takes me 100% out of it. It's because he loves this world so much. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the biggest city is called Ankh-Morpork. Ankh-Morpork. Um, Ank, it's almost impossible to say, <laughs> wow. but it looks hilarious on the page. That's another thing. Like the K's and the H's. Like he knows how to write a funny word. <laughs> so people describe Ankh-Morpork as um, the whole... Okay, that's there's something about that city, said Granny. It's like a drain. Like everybody always ends up there eventually, but in a terrible way, you know, and it's like New Jersey. There's like a, a guild of assassins and like you have to give receipts. So the only way to, to keep crime in hand is to actually like make crime super organized. Like the criminals, if they beat you up or if they take your money, they have to give you a receipt and they can't do it too many times in a year. And so they accidentally... I love that. <laughs> so, so a group of hyper-organized uh, <laughs> They beat up the fool and the fool has too much gold on him. And they're like, oh, we can't take this. But I already did the receipt. And they're like having this argument over his beat up little body. Like, God, why do you have this much money on you? This is terrible. I'm going to get in so much trouble. It's like, it's hilarious because it just, it, it, it makes all of these situations ridiculous. But Discworld is ultimately, even though they talk about how, you know, it's such a dangerous place, there are assassins everywhere, there are ruffians everywhere. It ultimately, it it feels more like a homey, comfortable place that you can go back to, which is why everybody loves the Discworld series. So it's just smart. It's well woven together. And the way that he brings um, Macbeth and Hamlet, and then there's a little bit of the Tempest in there because there's this storm that keeps circling around and the storm is like waiting for its big break when it can really show mm-hmm. everyone what it can do. And it has that underlying theatrical aspect to it. It just, it's, it's really brilliantly woven together. So much so that like you can read it for the humor, but then if you're looking for satire or story underneath it and a well-crafted story, Terry Pratchett, you, like, you really can't go wrong with any mm-hmm. of these books. But if you don't like British humor, you're probably not going to like this. Yeah, and that's its own (laughs) brand, British humor. Add that to the list of categories. Discworld is pretty much the one place that he writes, and it's he uses it as a stage for satire. I mean, there are all these interesting, weird little things that he puts into it, like these interesting, fantastic elements, like the luggage for people who know this world. They know what the luggage is. It's Two Flowers Luggage and The Color of Magic, which is like the first book. It's hilarious. The, the luggage is basically the entrance to a black hole, but it also holds all of Two Flowers Laundry. So it's like, <laughs> so they make, yeah, it's so <laughs> random and strange. And everybody's afraid of the luggage because if the luggage swallows you, nobody knows where you go. Like you just disappear. <laughs> like, oh, that was like my biggest fear when I was a kid of being swallowed yeah. by luggage. Oh, really, the luggage. I used to think really? the end of the world was the cul-de-sac at the other end of the neighborhood. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> it kind of felt like it, but it, yeah. it was a bridge to another world. Wait, really. the cul-de-sac by me that linked to Aileen's neighborhood? No, the other one by the Bastogne. Oh no, that one was scary. Oh, that one went to like Cedar Street or something, it like did. a busy road. <laughs> Yeah, like but in my youth, it felt one. like if you stepped off the edge, you just disappear. Nobody would ever right. find you again. Where the sidewalk ends. Yeah. Right. Wait, can I read you guys one more passage from my book? That's not Definitely. funny. Definitely not funny. Um, yeah. this, oh. is, this is towards the end of the book as he's this alien has become more human and is starting to understand humans and is explaining them from his point of view. 
Um, once humans really study things in depth, whether in the artificially divided fields of quantum physics or biology or neuroscience or mathematics or love, they come closer and closer to nonsense, irrationality and anarchy. Everything they know is disproved over and over again. The earth is not flat. Leeches have no medicinal value. There is no God. Progress is a myth. The present is all they have. And this doesn't just happen on the big scale. It happens to each individual, too. In every human life, there is a moment, a crisis, one that says, what I believe is wrong. It happens to everyone, the only difference being how that knowledge changes them. In most cases, it is simply a case of burying that knowledge and pretending it isn't there. That is how humans grow old. That is ultimately what creases their faces and curves their backs and shrinks their mouths and ambitions, the weight of that denial, the stress of it. This is not unique to humans. The single biggest act of bravery or madness anyone can do is the act of change. That's beautiful. Hmm. I thought that was deep. just very like deep and meaningful right? and so true. Yeah. Well, that's a downer. I'm at, I know that's not really a happy note to end this, this episode. I on. wish I had a passage to read to you guys from my book. Okay, I'm going to do one because it's, it's so it's, funny. It, yeah, do something funny, Josie. About. Bring us back up. <laughs> well, it's not it's not that it's funny. It's just more uplifting. And it's he's talking about the theater and the power of the theater. So the crazy Duke Felmet, the one who's washing his hands mm -hmm. constantly because he, he did a murder, committed the murder. And now he's got that. He did. He, he did, did a, a murder. murder. <laughs> um, he wants to he wants to change history. So he's hired the players, the group of players where the king's heir is now 18 years old because Granny Weatherwax brought them 15 years into the future because she was sick of waiting. Like, that's just who she is. Um, she realizes they're watching this play that's sort of rewriting the history of it so that Felmet, the Duke, isn't a murderer. And it's making it out so that King Varence, the guy who got murdered, was actually an idiot who needed to be taken out. So Granny's sitting there. Granny had never had much time for words. They were so insubstantial. Now she wished that she had found the time. Words were indeed insubstantial. They were as soft as water, but they were also as powerful as water. And now they were rushing over the audience, eroding the levees of veracity and carrying away the past. You know, that's beautiful, just really good writing in between some pretty hilarious jokes about death. Death is a character that reappears often, like <laughs> actual death comes in and he speaks in all caps. A funny character I 100% mm -hmm. appreciate. That's great. Yep. And he's like this really likable entity and he loves cats. And he does <laughs> like of course after he does. after he's after he's like gathered a whole bunch of souls from a plague or something, he'll go and he'll get takeaway. And he'll just be <laughs> hanging out. And everyone will be sort of like in the takeaway place, like trying to move away from him, like because they get this really weird feeling. He'll be like, I'm not that bad, <laughs> you know, but he always speaks in these leaden tones and everyone always freaks out. So and he brings death back again and again as this, you know, very lovable character in a strange way. Like that's what sort of, Yeah. And there's even a book called Mort in this book. Death gets an apprentice because death needs a break. He wants to take a little vacation. <laughs> and his name is Mort. His name is Mort. It's it gotta has be. to be. Reaper Jr. Anyway, so who has one funny quote? One funny quote Ooh, so we can... Say, and we end um, on a funny note. I might have mine, one. Hold on. I, I think I had one. There was one sentence. So Andrew was the gay ex-husband and Jeff became uh -huh. his lover. Hold on. Jeff was the control variable in an experiment of disillusioned divas. It was something something to that effect. And it just, like it summed up everything. Like all of these women are <sighs> disillusioned divas with 
all their characters. And then Jeff is like this. He like evens everything out. (laughs) I've got one. The next day I had a hangover. I realized if getting drunk was how people forgot they were mortal, then hangovers were how they remembered. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Oh, that's so good because you feel invincible and then you don't. (laughs) You're not. (laughs) One other. um, A cat I discovered was very much like a dog, but smaller and without the self-esteem issues. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We got to do more comedy books, you guys. Yeah, we should. They're hard to find. They are. It's hard to find they really books are. that are funny and, or that you find funny, you know? That's Josie, so hard. Write, write a funny book for us. Um, It's not out yet. So I have oh. um, this series. It's called my Lucetopia series. And it's I started writing it basically because I just finished writing this super deep book. And I needed a break, like an emotional break from it. And um. It's kind of a it's kind of got this sort of British humor to it. It's about a girl who usual setup. She gets it's called the illustrated girl. She sees a picture in a book and she goes, God, I wish I was that person. And she winds up going into the book and it's like a fairy tale. So she becomes Princess Pleasant and she realizes that it's just mm, awful. I say that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's, it's she's a girl in a tower and she's like, this is the worst place I've ever. Why the hell did I think this was a good idea? So she's desperately trying to get out of Lucetopia, which turns out to be a medieval nightmare. And it's it's funny. It's very jokey. There's a lot of British humor in it. It's it's like sort of my homage to Discworld. Mm. Um, but it's set in very much in like medieval, you know, basically Tolkien type landscape and all that mm. stuff. So I have I, I haven't put them out yet, but I'm going oh. to be putting them out starting. And if, I have like three books written in it and I'm going to start putting them out. When does it um, come out? I think we're going to put out Illustrated Girl next year after Scions. Wait, we're just going to give it away. You have a million books. What, give us yeah. an update on your new publishing empire. My new publishing empire <laughs> that you're building. <laughs> I think we never just, talk about it, and we probably should. No, what, what's I happening mean, next? So Scions is we're deciding whether it's going to be beginning of September, or end of September this year when it comes out. Um, That's the next book that yeah. you guys will, or the first book you guys will publish. Yeah, that'll be our first book out. It's the fourth book in the Starcross series. And then we're going to give away the first book in the Lucetopia series because I've got two more books written in that series okay. ready to go out right after it. So we're just going to give away Illustrated Girl because it's kind of a novella and it's cute and sweet and fun. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, you're going to love it because <laughs> it's not threatening. Everybody lived. <laughs> it's no, happy. No, it's from the beginning. And um, then Timeless comes out, which is the fifth book. And then Widow comes out. That was the big book that I wrote. It's like a huge world called Nineland. It's very dark, very multiple characters. And that's part of huge not world building. The same series. So that's a different story. No, it's story. a totally new series. Oh, wow. It's a different story. It's a new series. I what wrote that Widow. Come that comes out, I think, by the end. Of- I have a, this, My husband has me on a schedule oh, for wow. my releases because. Oh, wow. If I don't write, I get beaten. (laughs) Um, The edits are due. When does it The release date is June of 23rd for Widow. Well, I had a library patron come in and I think I sent you a text about it, but she was like, I need some new young adult books. She's probably in her early 20s. And I recommended yours and she she read them all and she returned them the other day and wants more uh, recommendations. But I said, well, there's more coming Mm -hmm. out. So there's more coming out. <laughs> awesome. And meanwhile, yeah, listen no, to our podcast, right. Fiction Between Friends. Mm. <laughs> hey, do you go on 
like publicity tours. So will you come to the East Coast or is it all West Coast? I don't know what it's going to be like with COVID. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'd love to come back East again. I you, know, you should. I know I haven't been out that east, way and it's been years since I've toured And do a there. double feature of a book thing with then podcast. I would love that. Like a that, live do you know how much fun like, that we'll, we'll, No, we'll no. all like show up and crash the, the book party. I'd love that. And then we can all talk. And then instead of talking about my book, I can talk about somebody else's book. Because once you've pitched your book a hundred times, you're like, it's a modern day retelling of the Iliad where uh, Helen of Troy meets. And you're like, just shoot me. I don't want to say this anymore. Oh, I don't so, know. I think we need to do an episode where we each read one of your books and you need to sit here while we discuss your book. I think books. I'd be horrified. I think Absolutely we're going to have to horrified. do it. Or, you know how weird it is for me that you guys have read my books at all? Do, does, it just doesn't. Like if it's people out in the world that I don't know, it's fine. But if it's people that I know, it feels very strange really? to know that you guys have read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's my daughter's favorite series. Yeah. But go back to <laughs> all the slumber parties that we had with the storytelling. It's not different. Oh, yeah. No, but that we were telling those stories together. You know what I mean? This was like, I, I don't know. Why is it weird? I don't know. Cause I get you, weird about it. Because once you get weird. published, you've jumped so many hoops and you have so many layers of approval. I would think it'd be like, this is okay for the world to read. So it should be okay yeah. for us. Of course, but I, I feel strange when I think of like my family or my close friends, like people who really know me and they'd probably read stuff in it and they're like, oh yeah, Josie did that. <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? Like you guys know, see people out in the world, they don't know when I'm actually taking a moment from my life and putting it in a book. You guys know all my secrets. Like you know where well, all yes, of the skeletons are there. We have the pictures <laughs> to prove have it. the pictures. <laughs> all right, Lauren's falling asleep. I think it's time oh, to call no, it's it. Pathetic. All right. Okay. All right, ladies. Oh, so goodbye, you guys. We'll Bye. talk soon. Bye. Right. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit fictionbetweenfriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening. Thank you.